Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 12. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. What does it take to get Metallica to play your award show? My guest is Josh Bernstein, co-creator and executive producer of the Revolver Golden Gods Awards, the Alternative Press Music Awards, and most recently, the Loudwire Awards. We have a great conversation detailing a whole bunch of behind the scenes about the year Metallica headlined the Revolver Golden Gods Awards. The whole process of booking them, uh, different guests that they wanted to collaborate with, how the Rob Halford collaboration happened, a whole bunch of cool stories and and different Metallica stories from over the years from Josh. Uh, Josh, let's see, he's... He was uh, director of marketing for New Bay Media, which was home to Revolver, Guitar World. Uh, he's done events at the Grammy Museum, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's booked, you know, everyone from Metallica to Marilyn Manson to Johnny Depp to Ozzy, the crew. During Josh's tenure, the APMAs featured acts like Fall Out Boy, Paramore, Weezer, 21 Pilots, Smashing Pumpkins, Pierce the Veil, and many more. And now in his role as director of live events for Town Square Media, he oversees live events for their music brands like Loudwire, Double XL, Taste of Country, Ultimate Classic Rock. The Loudwire Awards was created and launched last year by Josh in partnership with Access TV, Apple Music, and the WWE, and featured Avenged Sevenfold, Hailstorm, and something else we talk about at length, the Hand of Doom Award, which was molded from the actual hand of Tony Iommi. Before we get into it really quickly, I want to ask you, please, if you haven't yet, go into iTunes and leave a nice little five-star rating and review for Speak and Destroy. So if you've got your iPhone in your hand right now or nearby as you're listening to this, you can literally just pop into the podcast app and do this. It's a huge favor. And as I've mentioned before, once we get to 100 reviews, we're going to pick somebody out of those 100 reviewers and send that person the Deluxe Collector's Edition box set of Kill 'Em All courtesy of our friends at Warner Music, who distributes Blackened Recordings. If this is your first time listening to Speak and Destroy, please check out some of our earlier episodes with great guests like M. Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, Jamie Josta from Hatebreed, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm, Michael Lago, who signed Metallica to Electra Records, Rob Flynn from Machine Head, Igor Cavalera from Cavalera Conspiracy and Sepultura, Mark Morton from Lamb of God, and more. So here it is, my conversation with Josh Bernstein. Director of Live Events for Town Square Media. This is Speak and Destroy. What was your... uh first introduction to Metallica do you remember the first first time you heard them yeah I um I'm cheating because um, I, I know this story but I wanted to tell it on the podcast yeah it's well it's funny I was um I just my we just moved with my family to Long Island um I think it was 1986 and I <laughs> I was in Hebrew school uh, like a Hebrew school sleepover and I think so we had just moved to this house and like the teenagers that moved out had left some vinyl records there. And like some of it leaned a little heavier than what my parents, my, my, you know, my parents had some cool, like I said, the Stones and the Who and, and Bowie. Uh, but all of a sudden there was like some Zeppelin records and ACDC and um, uh, other rock records at that time, heavier stuff in, left in the house. And I remember like bringing some records to school and trading some records. Um, and this one kid brought in... Um, uh, master puppets 
which into Hebrew school, <laughs> you know, with the crosses <laughs> on the cover, I was yeah. like, it was like bringing in like a like a swastika flag. I was just like, I was like, wow, you can't bring that in here. I mean, at, like, le- at like, least at least ride the lightning would have had the story of yeah, Moses. electric chair or something would be a little more. Yeah, well, what, no, what, I mean, it had uh, it had so let it be written, so let it be done. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, if I had someone had told me at that time, like there's this, like there's this, like you have to go to Hebrew school and learn about Passover, or you could listen to this Metallica song and hear it like with a much better riff, you know, <laughs> like that uh, would have been much more enjoyable. Um, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, he basically said, if you like Led Zeppelin, you'll love this. That was that was sort of a it felt like a drug dealer, right? So um, I went home and listened to it, and it, it really it. It, it was, it was, I was 10. It was just totally like, I was, I was a little intimidated by it. Um, and then maybe soon after, um, uh, Garage Days album came out, which I remember being, okay, I'll buy this. This looks cool. And loving it. I'm like, oh, I like this more. And you're like, realizing. hey, this is only five ninety eight. What do I get to yeah, lose? This price, this price is <laughs> totally in my budget, uh, with my paper route. This, this will work. And, um, I don't know, like that record, I guess you like a lot more. I didn't know the, I didn't realize those were cover songs at the, at the time. Yeah, and that seems to be a common experience. I had, I just had that conversation with Lizzie Hale, actually, whose first Metallica record was Garage Inc., which was the double album that collected that EP and a bunch of other songs and then a bunch of new Oh, covers. right, right. And um, yeah, you don't, you know, when you get a hold of those, you don't necessarily understand that those aren't originals. And yet, um, it's such a great gateway, like you said, to, so much other awesome music. Stuff. It's almost like a compilation in that sense. And like my friends in Long Island, like, you know, like, like I said, being in the city, there was, we listened to more just where it was more, you know, the Beastie Boys and LL and Run DMC and Salt and Pepper. And in, in addition to whatever else was going on at that time, and it got to Long Island, the kids, there were more, there were more dirt packs. So like all my friends' bedrooms were posters of Rad and Megadeth and um, Quiet Riot and, you know, those same kids. I mean, it's funny now, but like Bon Jovi was in the same conversation at all times. It wasn't like Bon Jovi was like this other pop star. He was a metal. That was another metal band, Cinderella. Well, especially out there. Yeah. Hometown <laughs> <laughs> so, hero. Yeah. Um, and then you know, uh, and I remember in eighth grade, um, right when Injustice for All came out. Um, and this is this is one of those stories you believe as a teenager. Then as an adult, you go, "Wait a second, that's total bullshit." Like I remember, like all the kids and all the the bad boys in school, all the the, the dirtbags were all going to go to see Metallica, Queensrÿche. Um, and the next day, everyone came back to school about how they all got together and beat up all the Queensrÿche fans there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God! I'm so glad my my mother would never let me go." Which that was the, the fist fight. That was the Damage Justice tour. It was uh, Queensrÿche did a big part of it. Danzig did some of it, and uh, I figured there was a third band too. I'm just gonna take a wild stab, and that 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 uh, those like four or five thirteen year olds who went to the show didn't beat up a bunch of other Queensrÿche thirteen year olds. <laughs> just, I'm just gonna guess. Yeah, but at the really time, happen. it's just gospel. You know, you're like, "Yeah, that, that yeah. sounds." I mean, that sounds believable. And again, Cool Dad story number three. I remember watching the one video, and he's like, "Oh, this is from that movie, Johnny Get Your Gun." Oh wow, that's impressive. Like he he knew he's like, "Oh, they're just using this from this old movie." And I was yeah. like, "What movie?" He's like, "Johnny Get Your Gun." He can't, you know. He, you know, he's like in a coma, but he wants to speak, but he can't. And blah blah. blah. I was like, "How does my dad know this?" 
what's what was great about that video too was that you know Metallica had had said for a while that they they wouldn't make a music video you know and they they were succeeding without the benefit of radio support or video support and I thought what was really cool is when they when they did decide to make a video they intentionally made something that was really different and really sort of disruptive and at that point the band was large enough that MTV couldn't really ignore them when they said we have a music video MTV sort of had to play it um right and yet yeah it has all this dialogue in it it's super long and eventually they kind of you know they put out that the, what they call the jamming version that's just all performance but um i thought that was you know one of many steps that they've always taken and continue to take that are uh you know very forward thinking and 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 carve a path for a lot of bands who to follow in their wake what was your first uh metallica show First Metallica show was not till a little later. It was not till um, Giant Stadium. Um, it had to be in the mid '90s. Like I said, it was a little later in the game because um, Jerry Cantrell was opening. Like, not, hmm. like and uh, Days was of the New up. was Days of the New. Days of the New, also, yeah. yeah. I saw that tour. Um, and I sat like, you know, I basically sat in New York City watching a show in New Jersey. I could not have been any further away from the stage. <laughs> I bring that up because I got to go back to Giant Stadium this summer. And was, uh, uh, you know what? This much, was, much nicer seats. <laughs> this was Ju- July 1998. The poor retouring me tour with Jerry Cantrell and Days of the New. Wow. I would have thought that was like 95, 96. And speaking of Metallica cover songs, um, they opened that. But it's show. Almost, that's almost twenty years ago, scarily enough. Right. Oh man, I, I just had this conversation the other day. I mean, um, you know, Load and Reload have both had their twentieth anniversary, which is wild. Uh, but yet that that show uh, at Giant Stadium, they speaking of Metallica cover songs, they opened with Bread Fan. Which oh yeah, Budgie. Which is a really fun song, and they also did. Uh, I remember this from that tour. Their first encore were three acoustic songs. They did Low Man's Lyric, which is actually one of the unheralded great songs from the Load Reload era. And then they did Four Horsemen and Last Caress, both acoustic. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't go wrong with Last Caress in New Jersey. I mean, right. You know, just flying the flag for Lodi there at Giant Stadium. Stuck in Lodi again. Stuck in Lodi again. Uh, so, you know, taking us sort of through your career was it was so was it at revolver where you first actually encountered the band on a personal professional level what was your first meeting with them yeah uh, that's a good question um when did i first meet those dudes i um you know i worked at guitar world for you know a couple years before they were uh before the parent company then bought revolver as well um so as you can imagine during that time definitely did stuff with kirk and, and james um, who I should also mention, like all throughout college, you know, when I was, when I was studying to be an illustrator, like me and my best friend who illustrate, like we have hundreds of drawings of James Hetfield. <laughs> like, yeah, like we would draw that logo and like stage sets and just like the word bubbles of like, yeah, oh, ah. like, like we would speak in Hetfield to each other. <laughs> uh, we still do a lot. Um, like we still answer questions like, Yes or no, or like yeah, or like no. So we really <laughs> love speaking like Hetfield. Like he's become like 
I don't know, like almost like a character in our lives. We used to actually do a cartoon in my zine, Royal Flush, called, it was a, a reoccurring column. It was a really good illustration of James. And it's just him holding a book, and it says, uh, James Hatchfield said, but true. And it's just, it would just list horrible facts. You know, it would just be a picture of James Hetfield. Um, yeah, loved, loved, loved all that stuff. So um, probably met Kirk and James, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, James around then. Um, and, you know, like Ross Halfin, who's their, you know, sort of of their main photographer. Ross was our main photographer. So, you know, oh. I art directed Ross a lot and worked with him. So you're going to so you're gonna help me get Ross on this podcast? I'll, get, I'll put you in touch with Ross Halfin. He's a, no, he's like, he's a, you know, he's a legendary dude. Of course. Um, and show a lot of our covers. So it's probably through that. Um, and then, um, you know, when I started working at Revolver, um, the, and you'll appreciate this because I think you were in the issue. Um, one of my first issues of Revolver, we, we created this thing called Rebel Meets Rebel. Where yes. um, a rock star would interview their idol and vice versa. And the first one we ever did, and it was on the cover, uh, Justin Baruki shot it. Shout out, Justin. Um, M Shadows interviewing... Um, James and, and Lars. I remember that cover well. And we we got this illustrator to do it. We had Scotty Ian interview Gene Simmons, and then mm -hmm. we had uh, we. This is I love this story. We asked this young whippersnapper, uh, lead singer from First to Last, who he liked to interview, and he, he asked he begged to meet Jonathan Davis, and um, that sort of you know, inadvertently birthed the whole and the corn the corn Skrillex album. Corn Skrillex um, <laughs> oh, wow. relationship was yeah. birthed from that article. And I think you were in. I don't know if it was that issue. It may have been, but uh, yeah, we, you guys asked uh, Brandon Chapetti from Bleeding Through, who I was managing at the time and for many years, to interview Glenn Danzig. Um, and I went. I uh, helped Brandon write. Oh my god, that was a different issue, but same same article. And yeah, right. We got Simon Bisley to do the artwork. Oh, it was so killer! The artwork's killer. Awesome. Um, yeah, I wrote the vast majority of Brandon's questions and I went with him and shout out to Dan Epstein, uh, revolver contributor. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, he, it was man. Dan, myself, uh, Heidi Robinson, who was doing press for Danzig at the time, Brandon and Danzig all met at, uh, at a diner in, in, in Hollywood. At a gym. <laughs> uh, there was some, there was some gym talk between Brandon and, and Danzig. Uh, no, we met at Jerry's Deli, which I always thought was funny, just as a misfits, misfits nerd, you know, not that Jerry, different Jerry. Uh, but uh, yeah, Heidi, Heidi, you know, took off after after introducing all of us, and then Dan and Brandon and Danzig and myself sat and had a very nice, long, wonderful chat. And then what was what was fun about that as well is there was a sidebar, and uh, there was a little feature and a little uh, interview with me, which I think maybe. Maybe John Wiederhorn conducted. I might have that wrong, but shout out to John Wiederhorn, my old MTV colleague and metal writer. Um, but there was a little sidebar on, on Die Die My Darling, which was the Misfits tribute band that Mick from 18 Visions, rest in peace, and Chapetti and Ken from 18 Visions and, and different people over the years that we used to do together. And uh, that was cool. That was, you know, I, yeah. got to, I got to have my picture in a magazine for the first time and what at that point laid, had been a number I of years. I that article out. I remember the... Um... So yeah, we got to do that cool, I mean, A, that was cool, and it, obviously, you know, because I ended up working with, you know, uh, Avenge a lot over the years, and they're so closely tied to Metallica. Um, but, you know, I ended up art directing Revolver for, I can't remember, three three years, four years? Um, and, you know, as you can imagine, um, 
in that world, you have a couple cycles of, of, of Slipknot and Metallica and you know, all the other big artists at that time. So um, got to do a couple of shoots with them uh, over the years. Um, plus, I art directed the Bass Magazine as well. So we did like a Robert Trujillo cover. Um, you know, it overlapped a lot. And uh, um, you, probably, you, know, you a, probably did some Newstead covers around the time he was playing with Ozzy too, I would imagine. Yeah, when Newstead joined, made that switch, we did stuff with him and Again, like he would come to the office and, and you know, he's what a nice guy he is. Um, and he eventually came to, you know, years later to the Golden Gods and participated in that. Um, um, but, yeah, we, we would do more and more stuff with them. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that sort of obviously when we in 2009, when we started uh, you know, launching the first Golden God Awards, you know, if you're not, if you're doing a heavy metal award show, whether it was 10 years ago or today, Metallica isn't your first call. Like, I just, I don't understand what you're doing. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> like, right. I mean, they're not going to say yes. And, but like, you need to, like, there is no, I don't think there's any confusion who's at the top of the chain. Yeah. And you can't, I mean, obviously when you're putting together a wish list, any sane metal fan is going to put Metallica, Sabbath, and or Ozzy Solo, you know, Dio, rest in peace, when he was still around, Priest, Maiden, you know, it's like there's some go-tos where it's like, yeah. we got to get these guys involved. But it's a short list, you know, and, yeah. um, and um, you know, and I would say, like, there's not many, and you and I have been doing this a long time, so, like, you know, not really sort of uh, um, starstruck too often like that, but there's still something about Hetfield. Um, that just still, I, I've seen, I was watching it even this year at Rockin' the Range. He was walking around backstage. This year at Rockin' the Range, um, I'm, f I'm friends with a couple of security guards in the business, and this guy Juan, uh, shout out Juan. <laughs> um, he was like opening up, I just saw him in the distance, he was like opening up a gate. I'm like, what's up, dude? He's like, hey, we give him a big hug, and like all of a sudden, like James Hetfield like comes on the other side of the gate, and he's like, you know, seven foot two, <laughs> right? Blue eyes. You know, he's just like he's so cool. You know, he's, yeah. he's sleeveless shirts, yeah. and and as I just the only thing I could think to do at that moment was like I was trying to like channel Don Rickles. Like he's like he looked at Duane. Is he ready to go? I'm like, and I just went, Do you mind? We're talking here. <laughs> like, clearly, like this guy's only job is like, it's like Secret Service. You know, like, yeah. your job is to like. Like you shouldn't be talking to anybody while I'm walking past the gate. Yeah. Um, and then our friend, right at that moment, Greg Pucciato is right there. He's like, "Oh shit, I got to go say hi to him." And uh, Liam from Dillinger was like, "Dude, like, don't do this." And like, Greg's <laughs> like, "No," he's like, "No, I know, I know him. We're friends. We're friends." And uh, <laughs> Headfield gets in a golf cart, starts to drive it away, and Greg just like, physically runs, like, runs and catches up to the golf cart. <laughs> And just like puts his hand out. I was like, "What's up, dude?" And Hetfield's like a little stunned. He's like, "Hey!" And he's like, "Good seeing you. We'll talk to you later." And he walked back, so like, like strutted back, like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> James Hetfield." Yeah, because um, again, you know, there's Greg, a rock star in his own right. You know, sure. I'm sure people would you know run after him and whatnot. And he turned into a twelve year old, and exactly. he ran back. He goes, "Do you know that he drew the Metallica logo?" You, you know that I'm like everyone. Everyone knows that. Um, but uh, I love yeah. I love seeing rock stars 
become rock fans around Metallica too. Yeah, but, and you know, and you know, it's inter- it's interesting you brought up Greg because I mean, he's a. Uh, it's funny he was the first confirmed guest for this show, and I'm now nine or ten episodes deep, and he hasn't shown up for it yet. He he's he keeps saying he's going to, but uh, he was he was probably the first person I talked to about the concept for this podcast, and he kind of helped woodshed me a little bit, and we we just talked about what a great idea. I mean, you know. Dillinger has a song that Greg named after the street date of Justice for All. Oh, wow. The lyrics of the song have nothing to do with it, but the, the album title or the uh, song title is... It's uh, actually the street date is actually the time signature of the song, too. Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Ben Ben probably intentionally made it the, the time signature, like one, one note off. Uh, yeah, man. So before we get into the glorious victory that was... But first of all, even getting Metallica to attend your event and mm-hmm. then subsequently to headline your event. Um, talk to us. You know, I, I would think 99% of the people listening to this would just have no idea. You know, briefly sort of explain to us what what all is involved in being the guy who's putting on an award show, you know, in this in this space, in this genre. Obviously, you have a lot of experience with it, you know, and, and, and not just with the award shows, but also the Rock and Roll Roast and you know, a lot of other events that you've done, you know, at, at NAM and, you know, in all sorts of places with all sorts of broadcasters and partners and what, you know, at the end of the day are some of the essential duties, I suppose, that are required. Yeah. I mean, you got to, um, um, you know, originally when we first started the, the, the first show I worked on was the Golden God Awards. And like I said, a lot of this was birthed out of um, sort of the concerts and, release parties I was doing for my zine for a couple of years and figuring out how to put on good shows and get hosts. And it was already sort of naturally happening. And when we did the first Golden God Awards, it was, you know, how do we like make a, um, you know, a heavy metal um, award show in the simplest of terms. Uh, you know, there's been, I think the, there have been stops and starts and some other things like it in the world. Um, but at Revolver, especially at that time, you know, we were the, you know, I think that, you know, we were the leading voice uh, or media brand in that world and uh, had great relationships with a lot of the artists. Um, and, uh, you know, at that time, I'm still saying it too, like unless you're, and this is without any disrespect to him because he's, he's not only a talent, but such a good dude, but like, unless you're Dave Grohl, you're not like, a, you're not like invited to any of the, the big boy parties. Sure. Um, and, you know, at that time, um, there was all these, it's funny, like I say at that time, maybe 10 years ago, but like, you know, there was, there was that new wave of American heavy metal that was sort of like had reached its zenith, right? With your, you know, Mass on Lamb of God, uh, Shadows Fall, Kill Switch. Kill, Kill Switch. Uh, yeah, God forbid. As of Dying, Bleeding Through. Like dying. Yeah, sure. That it hit that, that, that place. Uh, and at the same time, like, the baby band we were championing at the time was sort of their first big look was Suicide Silence. I remember. I remember uh, even, you know, the people behind the scenes at Revolver. You might have been one of them coming out on stage and talking about how much you love Suicide Silence. And oh, that was, yeah, that was actually the first and last time I will ever go on stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, myself and the and Tom, the Revolver editor. Yeah. Well, our bosses told us, you know, someone from the magazine should go up there and do something and you know, there was there was a little resistance, I would say, from a lot of the older artists to like sort of throwing their arms around Suicide Silence at the time. And you always you always will kind of see that every couple of years. Like mm-hmm. that's not that's not metal, whatever that means. Um, so I mean, Tom decided to do it, and uh, you know, that crowd. It was a Megadeth headline that first year, 
and uh, you either were in Megadeth or you were getting booed off that stage. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And we were, we were. I'm not going to repeat what was said, but um, there's a, there's a, actually a couple of photos of that moment being taken. You can see the look on my face where I like clearly, uh, I get, um, <laughs> I get gay bashed, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I just quickly, I'm like suicide silence. Like my voice cracks, and I just run off stage. There, there were a I'm lot like, of uh, L.A. construction worker Megadeth fans who were yelling. Uh, Trigger words at you. There's like day laborers there looking angry. Um, But, um, you know, we went after Metallica that first year, as you would or should always. Um, And, you know, obviously the end, we know we'll get to the the end of the story, which was years and years later. But um, I knocked on that door a lot and repeatedly. And it wasn't until the third year of the award show. And by the way, we, we had had. Ozzy and Lemmy and Grohl and Slash and Rob Zombie and Megadeth and we had Maynard come like I mean kind of like perfect we had like Corn like we got all the big names we had Dio right before he passed away you know some Slayer like there wasn't anyone that we weren't checking off the list Alice Cooper um, but Metallica could never come and then in the third year um, I was able to convince Avenged Sevenfold to headline which you know to their credit they've admittedly will model and have modeled a lot of their career after what Metallica has done. And they'll say, well, Metallica doesn't have to do this. Um, but at the time, the timing was perfect, you know, like for them, like they had, the Rev had just passed away. Uh, the nightmare had just coming out. It came out. Um, and we did a beautiful performance where we had Vinnie Paul come out and play mouth for war with them. Um, and then Duff McKagan came out and played it's so easy. Um, but backstage, many people know this, like backstage after they performed, like, um, you know, Vinny and the guys all were like kind of in tears hugging, you know, they just lost their drummer. Vinny lost his brother, you know, and they bonded. And by the way, they fucked, they killed that song. It sounded incredible. But I was able to get Lars and Robert to come and introduce their performance. And they did it uh, in credit, to, huge credit and shout out to Brian Brum. Brian Bumbry, who helped set that up. Metallica's um, longtime publicist and uh, long-time publicist. hopefully a, a future guest on the show as well. Oh, that'd be awesome. He's, um, and, you know, and Brian's a guy that uh, I've known for years, you know, back when he was at Warner Brothers um, and uh, um, helped set that up. And there's all these moments I have on tape that I basically was like, you know, <laughs> when I got the video, I was like, Enhance, enhance, enhance. <laughs> yeah. Like, where, like, so, like, I don't know if it was Jose Manga or someone backstage interviewing Lars, like, what do you think of all this? And he's like, he was like, what do I think? He's like, I didn't realize it would be this big. I didn't realize this show was this cool. That clip of Lars saying that became, I put it into every sizzle reel, I put it into every clip. I sent it back to Q Prime, being like, see, look what, look. And and I had the question asked him, like, when is Metallica playing? He's like, yeah, we'd love to do this sometime. I'm like, that there's your receipt. There it is. Like, <laughs> I have to play yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and they legit, I think we, I think we legitimately impressed them. Um, and then, you know, and by the way, like, success has a million fathers, you know, failures and orphan. It, uh, there was a, there is no one person that got Metallica for that show. There was a, there was people from the magazines working the angle. There was, I, at one point, huge shout out to our other friend, you have to get on this podcast, Metal Maria Ferrero, um, who 
um, called, I think, I think she just straight up called Kirk Hammett's pot dealer and went through that. Like we like, <laughs> we went a different, bunch of different ways, but I remember Maria told me the story that the following year we had Marilyn Manson headline any performer Johnny Depp, which this is like literally like when jo- before, before it became a regular thing that Johnny Depp played <laughs> right. guitar. Was, yeah. Literally, like, literally as we're having this conversation, there's a, uh... A music video were just released today with Manson and Johnny Depp. So, like, but back then it was like that was definitely a novelty that night. I was like, "Whoa, that's Jack Sparrow!" Like, rip it. <laughs> he was and, actually and, really and, and Jenny Humphrey from uh, Gossip Girl was up on that's stage. That's true. Too. Getting like choked out and molested on stage. Um, so, Maria told me the story that she was in a car maybe with Kirk and somebody else, and they were talking about it. And, um, and Kirk thought it was really cool that Johnny Depp showed up there. And like, and that's another thing too, where it's like, okay, one of the biggest movie stars in the world, Dane to set foot in here. Like this is a legit event. It's funny. Cause I got a lot of grief from some people in the metal industry when we, when Johnny Depp came out, you're like, why is he here? Like, Oh, that's such a gimmick. This and that. I said, you know, like, listen, and I'll still stand by it. The light, the light that Johnny Depp will shine on this show, whether it be from uh, time magazine or people or, whoever the big wave know, lifts what, all ships exactly what if those people also take the time to interview matt heafy from trivium or devil driver or check out testament like like this is all positive this is all positive and i know it directly led to getting metallica later so um as i always did the minute the, the minute the curtain went down on on a show i would call brian bumbry again and <laughs> yeah start being like well we just you know here's Here's a recap of the show. We asked everyone. We we deliberately asked everyone on the black carpet who they think should win lifetime achievement next year. And <laughs> I have a three minute video sizzle reel showing that every that everyone in the industry is demanding Metallica. Like I just tried to make it harder. And I mean, I never gave up. I I, I was um, I I try to be pleasantly persistent. I don't I don't want to be a punisher, but you sort of have to be on top of the stuff. Of course. And. And people don't understand that a lot of times, even when you get that, and this isn't to single out Metallica, because this is true in a lot of scenarios, when you get that moment, like you had the moment with Lars, where you're like, so when are you guys going to play? And he's like, oh yeah, it'd be cool to play this. There's quite a distance from, and this isn't to say that artists are being insincere when they say that, but there's still quite a distance in terms of the the logistics, the schedules, the production, the, uh, all the, all the moving parts, especially for a band of their size that, you know, even they are for all intents and purposes. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, now we're going through it. They were a military operation, sure, um, and or like a gi- or like right. a giant sports team. I mean, you know, you How might many... be talking to the quarterback of some NFL team, and you're like, "Hey, you should come to my kid's birthday party," and he might say he'd love to and mean it. But there's a lot, there's a lot more to it than just that. Yeah. You know, that little promise. And, you know, in, in, in my side of the business, I always have to sort of even, you know, the rare times I've met some of these people or have a personal phone number, I, I will always go through the right channel. When I see a lot of line cutters, like, I know, like, I'll just text them like, ooh, don't, that's not good. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day. Like, and that'll like, come back to haunt you when you when you when you need someone's help that oof. you've cut around before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I know from being on all sides of that, you know, even as a manager, and I've advised this to artists sometimes too. It's like, yeah, you know, you're letting someone have this direct access to you in these couple of situations where that's really helpful. 
um, that could come back to bite you as the artist <laughs> when, uh, you know, when somebody's hitting you up when you don't want them to about something that you aren't comfortable dealing with. Totally. So, I mean, listen, I have to assume like anything else, like Lars eventually the, the, the drums beat loud enough where he was there. He saw it in person. He thought it was cool. Yeah. And his ear is way to the ground. I mean, he's, he's sort of, there's not much yeah. that he's unaware of in terms I of like what's happening. Yeah. In the rock no, he's space. Uh, talk about a guy that does not get, you know, the proper credit for, um, you know, everyone wants to say, Oh, his drums are sloppy or whatever. Like shut the fuck up. Like, like, but Lars is Metallica. Metallica is what it is because of that guy's drive and his vision. And, 100%. And there's a there's um, 100 bands you could name that Metallica could be without him. You know, yeah. Both in terms of the sound and his arranging of the songs and his, his drive and work ethic and his sort of grooming of some of the, of the other people that have been in the band, uh, including James to some degree. And obviously that partnership between the two of them is so massive. But yeah, the, the business... Um, side of it and the decision making and knowing to show up to the revolver awards and check it out and like you know what i mean like kind of getting yeah that was that was really stunning by and, accident in that camp and he must have obviously co-signed it and and then and then obviously you know cliff and peter and and um, everyone at the time felt this was okay and uh so basically one day i got a call from brian bumbry um and he just went he called me one day after the after the johnny depp year and he went you got him. Um, I got who? He goes, what have you been asking for for five years? <laughs> I was like, no. He's like, he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, let's get serious here. Do you have, you know, and he asked for an amount of money. And I just, without checking with clearly anyone in my company, he said, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. Like, I, I'll write the check tomorrow. Um, I definitely got in trouble for that later. Um, and um, for nine months, sat in secret not telling anybody that I had them which was so cool because when we finally did the press conference we had like it was a really good press conference we had Chris Jericho moderating it or hosting it we had uh, Zach there and uh, Hailstorm in this moment and Five Finger uh, Sebastian Bach was there Greg Pucciato was there I was gonna say that was a yeah I was I was at that press conference uh, with Greg we did that little sketch with uh, with Sebastian Bach oh my god still holds up um and to have Chris Jericho say Metallica's name as the headliner on stage and like no one in the audience or on stage knew like people were like, Oh, oh Scotty and the anthrax guys were there. Like everyone's like, wait, seriously? I'm like, <laughs> it, it got a, it got a, we did this at the hard rock, um, yeah. Across from Jimmy Kimmel taping, uh, in LA and it got an audible gasp from the people in the room. It did. And, and how, and Hellstorm performed at that press conference yeah, so, which was cool. yeah you know i i've never we never i don't think we ever released that footage i actually sent it to the management recently but they did uh they performed slave to the grind with sebastian and it at like 10 a.m yeah <laughs> and yeah he was like like it was like he was at budokan for an people. <laughs> like he he's he gave it his all one of the great things i remember about that day too for me personally was uh greg and i were sitting having lunch afterwards because there's a restaurant in there too and uh, Zach Wild, who I hadn't really ever met before, you know, I've, I've met him uh, several times now and spoken to him a lot. But at the time, I don't think I knew him at all. Uh, Zach Wild just invited himself to our table and sat down and started talking to Greg and I for like the longest time and just telling amazing stories, being super funny, and then just got up and left. And, and Greg and I just turned to each other and we were like, that was really weird and really awesome. 
Those are, those are the, kind, the of, I mean, kind of moments I, like that that you remember. Well, uh, it, you know, obviously we'll, we'll plug the, the, the uh, URL of that video later, but it, it holds up. Um, but, um, you know, we announced that the next, you, you know, award shows are a weird sort of sell to the public, right? Like I, I struggle every year with all the shows because so, people, the public thinks like I as Joe Q fan can't attend that. You have to be a Kardashian right. or something, you know, right. like, um, when the reality is, is, and, and a lot of the shows are like that. Ours are not, we, we really want the fans there. It's for the fans and for the community. And, um, so sometimes tickets may be slower to sell than say a, a festival or tour, uh, uh, counterpart. But when you announce Metallica, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the tickets go quick. And the cool thing too, is again, like a testament to how dedicated they are to their fans. Like, in their contract, it was like the first like five rows or whatever it was a pre-sale. Like all the stuff had to be made available to their fan club first before it went to the sale. Yeah, to the yeah. And I was like, like my bosses are like, we we're not going to agree to these demands. I'm like, wait, why wouldn't we want all Metallica fans there? Like, right? that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I want them knowing every song. So, um. Yeah, we got there. There's a great photo. It's still like my most cherished photo. It's me and Chris Jericho and Pat, our head writer, um, sitting in the balcony. Stephanie Cabral, who's a great L.A. photographer. I guess I didn't know. She took a photo of us, like from behind us, sitting in the balcony, watching Metallica Soundcheck to an empty room. You know, we're the only people in the room. Yeah. And, you know, Hatfield's wearing like, you know, jam shorts and stuff. And um like it was so incredible. It was like a private concert, and um, and we did we did photo shoots with them that day and everything, and they were just so cool. And one of the best moments happened backstage, which was, um, and I think the Five Finger guys are still uh, unfortunately upset about this, but at the time Five Finger had a brand new single with Rob Halford, and they flew yes. Rob Halford into the show to debut that single. Oh, see, but, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know this. Uh, yeah, please tell this story. This is new. This is new to me because uh, as. People listening to this might recall, of course, Halford came out and did the Priest classic Rapid Fire with Metallica on stage at the Golden Gods that night. But I think you're about to right. tell us something uh, really cool yeah, and behind you, the I'll scenes. Tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you how that happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, uh, what's his name? Zoltan Bathory, man. He's still pissed about this. I was going to say um, shout out to Zoltan. Shout out to Chris. Yeah. Those are both both buddies of mine. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, no, Zoltan is awesome. And uh, and I totally, I, I totally understand why they'd be mad with me. But um, so they flew, they flew Halford in. They performed that song. And by the way, I think that song would ended up being like the number one rock song that year. Um, Lift, lift me up was the song. And they performed it. It was great. I think they overshadowed themselves. And they then brought out Rob Zombie and John Five with them to do Thunder Kiss. The hope being that, or the, my plan was that that summer. Zombie and Five Finger are going to co-headline Mayhem together. So I want to be like, here's a taste of what you're going to see on Mayhem this summer. Um, and they crushed it. It was awesome. And then basically backstage, one of the uh, Metallica uh, – well, I should tell two great stories about backstage at night. So one of the Metallica – and by the way, everyone in Metallica's team or staff is like six foot five and above. Like so. <laughs> like, like, like Big Mick? Oh, my God. Is that the guy with the no neck? That's the, that's their uh, longtime sound guy who's got like the giant beard and he's in the oh, behind yeah. the music and there's just everyone you know it just was very they're very intimidating and and I'm just sort of in awe of them so um, <laughs> this guy like a, I get something backstage 
and they're like, you know, um, Lars wants to speak to you. And he's like, you know, Hey, I really want to, we saw Halford Walker earlier, like really want to play. Does he want to play rapid fire by us? And I'm like, Oh man, that's like legit. My favorite priest song. Like, I'm like, let me ask. And, and by the way, Halford showed up at the show in like a, like a priest habit and he just had a surgery. So he had a cane too. Yeah. So he's like sitting backstage, like in a chair, like just in the hallway with a cane. And I just kneeled down beside him like Mr. Halford. So sorry to bother you. I know you've had like a lot going on a long night, but like, um, I got a request from the, the Metallica camp. And I think, uh, she's not there anymore. Sue Tropio, I had worked at Q prime. She's the one who I think emailed me also to confirm it. I was like, you know, um, Metallica really want to invite you up to perform rapid fire with you. And, uh, I know you, you're here for five finger, you're busy, you're not feeling well. And he went, he just goes, Oh, laws. <laughs> and he's like, fine. It was weird. He's just like, Oh, laws, you silly boy. I'll do it. And I was like, awesome. So I went back and reported the good news. And literally, I don't know, a couple hours later, I was, this must've been during sound checks when they saw him. Cause a couple hours later, you know, Metallica's rule, right? They have like a replica of their stage, like in a smaller room backstage at every yeah, show. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, the, the jam like, room. Yeah, yeah. Like that's an the, awesome the, the thing. Tuning like, room. We're not yeah. doing that. Like that's impossible. And all of a sudden someone's like, oh, come to the Access TV studios across the street. And I walk in there and like Metallica's fully set up in that room <laughs> and Halford's on the microphone. Oh, and wow. Like, Dude, you've, ne- you've, ne- you've never told me this. Wow. Oh my God. And I'm one of like eight people in the room, including the band. I'm like, hi, <laughs> hello. <laughs> like, they're like, oh yeah, so like this is going to work out. So can we add this to the set? Do you have to clear the song for the TV? I'm like, Whatever, whatever, whatever you, whatever you need, <laughs> and then I, and then they just ripped through Rapid Fire like in front of my face, like, like Robert Trujillo, like crab walking around the, this little. St- I was just like, holy shit! <laughs> That's so great. And you know, their rule was for me, because keep in mind, this was maybe a couple months after the Metallica 30th anniversary shows in San Francisco, right, where they did Rapid Fire. And they did like everything you'd ever imagine in your life. If you're like, you're masturbating to Metallica records or like everything ever. Right. So four shows and like, you know, King diamond, it was like King diamonds first show after his heart surgery and Danzig and, uh, you know, Ozzy and geezer. And I mean, it was just like guest upon get Lou Reed, actually one of the last Lou Reed performances. I think Metallica. So rock even did some, some San anger songs on bass. I think McGuffey came out. I mean, it was was awesome. First full performance with Mustaine. That's right. You know, they'd done the big four medley things, but this was the first, like, you know, Metallica and Mustang. And of course, it was so Stead. cool. It was so yeah. cool that they did that for their fans and for themselves. And um, so that night, I remember saying, like, you know, hey, listen, the, the fun thing I like doing is, or that we like doing these shows is kind of creating once in a lifetime performances. Like, who do you want to play with? And they're like, well, we, we sort of got everyone we'd ever wanted <laughs> right. Right. at the 30th. What's left? I said, you couldn't have gotten everybody. And they're like, okay. And they threw three names at me um, to go after. And um, they were all fucking impossible. But I still went, I got damn close with one of them. Um, they wanted Richie Blackmore. Mm. Uh, they, you know, Richie, Richie is, you know, clearly, obviously, Lars is a Deep Purple fanatic. Yeah, I mean, and Lars, Lars saw Deep Purple as a, as a little kid. 
Yeah, yeah. And he inducted he inducted them into the Rock Hall. I was there that night, and really cool speech. Um, and um, I, you know, at the time, because he's now sort of come out of a shell a bit. Uh, he was doing this. You know, he does like these medieval times music. I don't know how to describe it. Like he plays a lute or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With his wife and. Uh, I did get I, I did get a hold of Richie Blackmore's people and his wife, and it was a respectful pass, which I was like, damn it, that would have been sick. Um, and then they wanted Jimmy Page, and I was like, I just I broke the bank to get you. I can't break I can't break the bank twice. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and the third one was Jack White. Oh, huh, interesting. And I thought that would have been kick ass, you know. And because there was, remember Metallica did some sort of award show and like they played like a medley of like the new hot songs at the time and they played Seven Nation Army. Oh, that's right. I totally and forgot about that. They kind of, they kind of kicked it. They, it sounded good. And I, 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 I'm a huge fan, so I like that idea. Um, but none of those things, clearly, obviously, as we know, none of those things came to fruition. And uh, that night, um, they did. I'm trying to remember the, the three songs, it's all blur, but they, they did three songs. They did, they did, only did songs about Kill 'em All, I think. And they have feels like we're going to go old school tonight. We're like, this is for the real metal fans. I was like, wow, like this is so cool. Uh, by the way, that uh, Metallica medley was the MTV VMAs 2003. Um, and it was Are You Gonna Go My Way, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Seven Nation Army, and Beat It. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot that that even happened until you just brought it up. Yeah. And I just, you know, thought there might be something here. Um, and so they, they played, they played like three songs. That I think, you know, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll back up a second. So what was the response from the Jack White camp? I can't for the life of me remember. I mean, obviously we didn't get them. Yeah. I'm almost kind of surprised that, you know, it seems like he'd be down. Yeah, I don't know. Sucks. I, I would love to work with him. Um, but it, it didn't it didn't happen at the time. And like I said, they did, they did three authentic, you know, true metal songs and then brought out Halford to do Rapid Fire. They closed with Seek and Destroy. Yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, that was incredible. The other story I wanted to tell from that night, which I think you know about because you were the manager, um, was, you know, obviously Dillinger Escape Pants performance on the same show where they, um, you know, they, uh, Greg cut himself open and was bleeding everywhere and uh, covered behind the wheel with uh, the Depeche Mode song with Chino yep. Moreno and um, jumped off the, you know, our sort of host set and, and they ended up smashing a bunch of monitors and equipment, whatever that was in front of the stage. Turned out, uh, it was not their equipment that they uh, <laughs> broke, and I got summoned backstage by again another six foot ten dude, and he's like, "Hey man, you know that was our stuff." I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." And I grabbed the the heads of the label at the time, mm -hmm. he, you know them, and um, I said, "Guys, like you know, you guys got to pay for this," and they're like, "No, no problem. We'll give you a credit card right now." Like our, you know, and then we, we should got we, this. we should point out this is Dill Dillinger's record label we're talking about. Correct. The yeah. Escape Plans record label and publicists were like, we'll pay for this. We'll give you a credit card right now. And Metallica's um, tour manager said, hey, that's cool. I don't know who the fuck those guys are. Our contract is with you. Oof. 
um, come backstage and speak to our lawyer right now. This is in the middle, in the middle of the in the middle of the live. Oh, so this yeah, right. This is show. before Metallica had even performed, because Dillinger was much yeah. earlier in the night. Yeah, and we I get pulled backstage, and there's all these tall dudes there, and their lawyer is standing there with with the physical contract, and they rewrote in a clause on the fly that I was going to cover all and any associated costs with the. Um, the damage that Dillinger Escape Plan did to Metallica's equipment, and I signed off on it, knowing that the record label would then reimburse me. Um, and at the end of the thing, I said, "Guys, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that was going to happen." I'm like, "You know," I'm like, "Never mind." They're like, "What?" I'm like, "You know that band's playing your Orion Festival in two weeks." <laughs> uh huh. And they said, "What? Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, I think you guys are friends or something. I think mm-hmm. every every band on that show is friends." Um, and they said, "Oh, well, we'll um." Well, I think we're going to have some fun there in Detroit. Something, he alluded to something like that, like, we'll take care of them in Detroit. Um, but clearly nothing ever happened because we got sent a photo from Detroit of Ben Wyman sitting in a lawn chair with Robert Trujillo fanning yeah, so here, and a revolver. I, and I can tell you that story because I was there. Um, I was uh, Dillinger's... And we never got charged for the equipment either, by the way. Oh, that's great. Um, I was Dillinger's manager, as you, as you mentioned, for that, that whole album cycle. And Greg's still one of my very close friends. Uh, you know, Ben, Liam, all those guys are, are friends. So I was out there. I had, uh, I was representing the band Altshul Parish, who played Orion Fest that year. Orion Music and More and uh, and Dillinger, uh, both. And yeah, Kirk actually introduced Altshul Parish and Robert introduced Dillinger. And one of the coolest things about that whole experience, by the way, was uh, Metallica did a Kill em All set from start to finish at like yep. one in the afternoon on one of the small stages. As like a surprise, they built it under Delane, which was like the last name of uh, the kid that starred in the Through the Never movie, which was coming out at that time. Um, but I mean, that was just killer getting to, to see them do that. But yeah, Ben had an accident where he... Do you uh, mean Dane DeHaan? DeHaan, that's what it was. Did I say Delane? That is an actual band. Um, yeah, DeHaan, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, Ben had had an accident. He had screwed up his hand. They had to cancel a bunch of festivals that summer. Um and I remember as the manager and as a friend and as a, obviously a massive Metallica fan, I was like, we got it. We got to do this Metallica show, though. Like, you guys can't miss the Metallica show. And uh, their, their old guitar player, Jeff, actually, who had just left the band a couple of months before. Yeah, actually, yeah. Jeff Tuttle actually lives in Detroit. And I was like, could we have Jeff play? Could we, you know, what can we do? And uh, we ended up, uh, the band ended up playing it as a four-piece and we kind of made a, a joke out of it. We had uh, Ben sitting on stage reading a magazine with his cast on while the band was playing. And, and uh, occasionally he would hold up like signs like at the Olympics, like, you know, with his yeah, like voting his, signs. Yeah, his, his, his one through ten of how he thought the band did on that last song. And uh, True Hello came out on stage and, and was giving Ben a back rub. And, uh, you know, they made like a whole uh, little thing out of it. I you know, my, my probably my favorite memory from that thing, even more than. <laughs> than seeing the Dane DeHaan kill them all set uh, was it was the first time I ever played the Metallica pinball machine and oh, yeah. shout out to our buddy Jody at Stern pinball Stern pinball. Yeah. They had uh, the Metallica pinball machines there. And, you know, I've seen Metallica obviously a lot in my life. And when Metallica did their headlining performance, capping off the whole festival and it's in this huge field and it's a big crowd or whatever, Greg and I, we're in this little backstage area where we had a clear view across the field of Metallica. 
and him and I played Metallica pinball together for like an hour while we watched Metallica across the field. That's that's one of those, you know, again, one of those, you know, time capsule moments where you go, oh yeah, what a my life isn't so bad actually. Things have turned out pretty cool. By the way, I want to uh, I looked this up. So the set list at the Nokia Theater for the Revolver Awards Metallica 2013 was Disposable Heroes, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Rapid Fire, and Seek and Destroy. Uh, with a little bit of the frayed ends of sanity as an outro. Drive. Yeah, that's so, yeah. right. I mean, but that was, that, that's a pretty cool set list. I remember watching it just that felt like really, you know, like, like, um, like I feel like there was, James had some banter about like playing the real songs, you know, and, and, uh, and early, you know, the other cool thing with that show is that many people don't know that is, is that, um, we had gotten that was supposed to be the so the direct support to Metallica that night was Danzig and Doyle um, doing Misfit set at the time also that was somewhat of a a new new thing that was sort of happening before obviously the current reunion but um, originally I had gotten for a weekend Lamb of God to agree to play and it was going to be uh, Randy's first performance after getting um, wow. released from jail um, but I think obviously poor guy wanted to go home and be with his family not come, come to the award party show. in la <laughs> and you know obviously they've had more than their share of time um opening and playing with metallic around the world uh, previously as i'm sure mark has said on the podcast um and that sort of led to the danzig uh thing with doyle um and that was also another cool thing was what we talked about earlier as rock stars cower in front of james hetfield James Hetfield still watched from the side of the stage with Kirk and watched Danzig and Doyle play the Misfit songs. And they were singing along to those. So like, you know, what, what's so great about these award shows um, is watching, uh, you could always try to make, no matter who you are, um, the biggest rock star or pro wrestler, athlete, whoever we have there, someone else will make you feel 13. And um, Right, that's a good way to put it. There, there's a great... It was a great moment when we did the gold, the second year of the Golden Gods. We did a press conference at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Um, and before we did the press conference, we sort of gathered everybody upstairs in the um, – that there's that upstairs perch, whatever you want to call it, the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we started out, it was like Zach Wilde and Chuck Billy and uh, Chris Jericho, Andrew WK was up there. Uh, and then Dave Mustaine walked in and everyone like got like – a little quiet, you know, like Dave Mustaine's here, ooh, you know. Um, and then Halford walked in, and Mustaine instantly, like, you know, <laughs> you know, he instantly sort of got a little quiet and respectful, and, you know. But then Lemmy walked in, and then Halford got a little, um, you know, quiet. Or not quiet, but basically, like, it was interesting seeing the food chain sort of evolve, you know. Right. Like, and, oh, and a food chain of respect, not not just oh, of, stat, of respect, of stats, just like, you know. And nobody, sudden, nobody's, nobody's counting record sales in that moment. No, no, nothing like that. It was yeah. more like who came first sort of, you know, uh, who was there first. So, and Halford starts telling a story to Lemmy, which everyone is just basically has stopped. And it's just like that Michael Jackson meme, like eating popcorn <laughs> Yeah. about him remembering priest opening for Hawkwind when Lemmy was in Hawkwind and everyone just shut up and it was just like, Oh my God, go, go on. <laughs> um, and 
you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, I can't believe I'm in this room. I'm even hearing these stories like this. Is, I think I was looking at Jericho being like, what the, like, how can we, like, how are we even so lucky to be here and hearing, hearing these stories? Um, but same deal. Like Mustaine, like when Mustaine was there, you know, Vinnie Paul, some other guys, and of course, Chris and Andrew, those guys were very like, oh, Dave's, Dave, right, rightfully so, Dave and Megadeth. But then Halford came in and changed it all, and then Lemmy changed it all again, so. Um, and then Josh was, Bernstein came in, and it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Josh Bernstein's here. Synagogue sounds blocked, dude. dude. Um, <laughs> like, we're good. We don't want any more water. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, and that's sort of so cool to watch because going back to your original start of this podcast, and the question is, like, I played in a band because I was a fan of music. You know, I grew up a fan of music and we do this because we're fans of music and all those guys that are in bands, whether they're the biggest stars in the world, they're fans too. Um, and everybody's a fan of somebody else's. Um, and, um, and I think Metallica that, should get, should and does get a lot of credit for uh, being transparent and unashamed about that. Like they've really championed the bands who have inspired them both in their formative years and even, you know, as contemporaries. I mean, they were, they were yeah. outspoken about loving Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and, you know, and, and different bands that have come up, you know, Ghost, you know, uh, Gojira, bands Bobby. that have come up, you know, uh, before, after, during, since. Baroness. Um, but yeah, they're always paying it forward and, and lifting other bands up. And, you know, I've, I've always thought that that was really cool. And I feel like it set a tone where it made it more comfortable for, other bands of their stature to be equally as reverent and respectful and, and champions of, of, uh, you know, bands that, that shaped or influenced them that they can now in turn sort of, I mean, I always make the joke, but I mean, you know, how fantastic is it that Metallica is just like paying the mortgage for King Diamond and Hank Sherman and, you know, some dude from, <laughs> <laughs> from like budgie and you know what i mean like all i mean just imagine these publishing checks that are still rolling in for these oh, guys you know who, who toiled away in relative obscurity for so long I mean, it's awesome you know i diamond i remember, the, I remember the time because people are like how what do you do to get metallica to that show and i always tell people like well you know a just ask politely for six six years <laughs> um yeah. but and just just kept on you know, swallowing those nose and waiting for another one. But um, they didn't need to do the show. They wanted to do the show. Um, they, they don't need to do anything um, anymore. They could just go home and rest or do whatever, you know, like they, they don't need to put out new music if they don't want to, you know, they did. They put out a good, really good record. Um, and I felt at the time, like the band does these like, okay, we're going to, play with a symphony. Okay, we're going to, you know, play Kill em All set exclusively. Right. Or we do a fucking album of Lou Reed, you know, and now we're going to do a, a 30th anniversary show and we'll basically, like, give every fan their wet dream, right? Play with, we're going to do the big four and play with all of our mm -hmm. original crew and we're all going to play Overkill together or, you know, whatever they, they jam on at the end. Um, and... I felt like, you know, like that at the time, for what it was worth, that the Golden Gods was sort of like that, like they came back, they, they had just done the Lulu record, which was a bit of a departure. And like, this is coming back to their core or their, their, like the cred move. And then they could 
they could take a risk and do something artsy or take something like, like after that was Orion. It's like, okay, well, we're going to indulge our Kirk likes horror movies and uh, Robert likes extreme sports and um, James likes hot rods. Hot rods. Exactly. Instagram. He did love Instagram. Yeah, at Lars the time. loves, uh, <laughs> you know, high, you know, fine art, whatever, whatever yeah. they're Yeah. Yeah. Lars are. had like a film, a little mini film festival going. And by the yeah, way, and, all, I, it, and I don't know if, if people realize this and not, you know, not that they're hurting for resources, but they, they dumped a lot of their own money into Orion music. They dumped all their own money into through yeah. the ever. And those were money losing ventures. I mean, you don't put on a first year festival with Arctic monkeys and Avenged sevenfold and whatever, all these huge headliners and not lose money. I mean, they lost a lot of money, their own money, but it was like they, you know, you very much got the sense that they were doing it for the love and for the culture. And because they had the ability to, to take those risks and, yeah. you know, to help support and to help do cool and interesting things. So this all dovetails nicely into the first ever Loudwire Awards. What can you tell me about the genesis of this award show and uh, kind of the effort to get it across the finish line? And I mean, we got to talk about the hand of doom. Oh yeah. Um, you know, obviously I did the Loudwire, I'm sorry, I did the Golden God Awards for, like I said, for those five years, the last show. I, I, I had left the company after the Metallica year. Um, there was no more. Yeah, what, uh, what, no more mountains to climb. <laughs> yeah, whatever the, the expression is in Die Hard, no more, no more mountains left, no more worlds and we, and left we, to and we, should, and we should point out that you did have, you know, Sabbath, and you had, <laughs> you had Guns and Roses, and you had, uh, I mean, right? I mean, yeah, oh, that's the other thing. Yeah, we, um, you know, get the details of it, but we did have Guns and Roses booked the same year as Metallica as well, and it was like. It would have been obnoxious, <laughs> so oh, we decided. I didn't realize that was the so did so did Guns N' Roses were they the year before or the year after? They ended up being the year after, but I had them. Oh wow, Metallica year, but and it's great that you waited a year because then you ended up with Duff, which have you know, and then before we yeah. before we knew it, Slash we, was back. But you had that show, we, you, you had the show with Duff when he was. I'll just say I, I don't think after what happened in '92. With the, with the Metallica Guns N' Roses story. I, yeah. I don't think the wounds had been healed there yet, even though everyone, but I think everyone, all those teams are friends. Um, I think, I don't think they were ready to do that moment there on that stage. Um, and, you know, I also felt like, listen, like, each one of those is a headliner. Like, you know, you could have a whole year for yeah. Guns N' Roses. And so, sure. um, I had li lined up, um, yeah, it was like Sabbath. <laughs> What we were discussing at the time, obviously I left before the show happened, but we had Guns N' Roses locked in already. I set that up through um, um, their team over there and worked hard to get that in place. I had Joan Jett, I had Korn, Black Sabbath, and there was talk about um, having Slipknot retiring their old masks, like the final performance with their old um, costumes at the time, uh, masks, whatever. Um, but... Um, I left, um, to start the AP awards, uh, pretty soon after that. And, um, you know, left that, that show happened, obviously Guns N' Roses played and, uh, Duff came back, but, um, I forgot what the original question was here, but, um, Oh, I will, this is kind of leading us into, uh, the, Oh yeah. The so, yeah. So yeah, obviously yeah. I went out to do the AP awards for a couple of years. Um, and uh, during that time period is sort of the golden God ceased to exist Loudwire um, as a competitor, and a competitive voice in the in the in that in that uh, genre, uh, they sort of became the number one 
uh, resource out there, you know, website wise, traffic wise, they have, you know, national syndicated radio. Um, and, um, um, the company town square media that owns it, uh, sort of, you know, uh, uh, approached me many times about starting something like this. And, um, um, yeah. So it's like a, a fam familiar venue for you. Uh, Chris Jericho, Dave Mustaine, a lot of these people you've mentioned from those years of, of doing uh, a metal award show previously, a lot of your, your friends and relationships coming into play here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll have sevenfold. Uh, Anthrax and uh, Ice T and Body Count, Hailstorm, uh, you know, Power Trip, which is a great young metal band that we were really excited about. Um, when we started building this, I, you know, really wanted to re-embrace um, sort of all the fun things I, you know, didn't get to sort of do metal-wise when I was doing my last jobs. Um, and um, you know, one of those things, one of the joys I have is obviously is when we started the Golden God Awards, I, I had a sketch, uh, a drawing I did of all these different potential trophies for the Golden God Awards, um, sketched a bunch of different ideas out. And uh, the, the Stonehenge uh, drawing became what became the trophy for that award show. We loved that. It, it was a really cool thing and people loved it. I actually um, found out what an Oscar weighs and we, I had our trophy maker make ours an ounce heavier. So it would be <laughs> literally be the, the heaviest award. Nice. Um, on that same sketch was you know, sort of a variation of what became the Scully for the AP Awards, which is such a cool, you know, a trophy. It's a like a 1940s microphone with a skull face, and mm -hmm. that thing came out badass. But I figured, like for this one, like I have to, you know, you want to make something cooler and better each time. Um, and I had that original sketch it was really corny, but it was just you know a drawing of um, you know the devil horn hands and. Um, I sketched it out and I sketched it out like on a giant volume knob as a base and I sent it to our trophy maker. Same guy who's made all the trophies, uh, Rich Sandomino, Sprague Works, shout out, um, great designer. And I sent my sketches over to him and he goes, is this hand life-sized? I said, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense. He goes, you have a cast of someone's hand or you just want me to like make a hand? I'm like, wait, we could cast someone's hand? <laughs> He said, yeah, Mike, I'll call you right back. <laughs> and um, I uh, you know, started thinking about all different options. Like, you know, this is, you know, obviously a, a symbol, probably most famous with, with Dio, but Dio's not with us. Could we get the... I thought Gene Simmons... Uh, I, thought, I thought Gene Simmons uh, trademarked that. Wasn't that his? Yeah, I don't know about that. His is thumbs <laughs> out. Exactly. Uh, his, his, his is the hand sign for love. <laughs> I love you. He has some deaf fans. He's alerting that he loves them. Um, so I was like, "Oh, the Dio—they're making a Dio hologram. Maybe they have like a—they have like a schematic of his hand or something." And then I was like, "Well, Tony Iommi really invented heavy metal, like you know, like obviously." And then I was like, "Wait a second. What if we got his hand, like with the fingers? Like, oh my god!" And I got in touch uh kevin tremonti um great publicist in this Another business shout out. we've been shouting out a lot of a lot of our good friends this all, on this, this episode this is a whole show. Shout this out. A, yeah this is an, an industry episode buckle up kids um guys immediately go to linkedin after this podcast <laughs> and punish every single person punish we, these people. we've talked about about your band Make sure drop some dms on these people um uh you know kevin worked with uh, with tony in the past put me in touch with the management um who's a lovely, lovely dude. And I pitched the idea and it was like, shout out to Ralph, Young Tony Homie's manager. 
while we're at it. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. I'm, I'm sure he's here at the hour mark listening to us. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I think at first he thought, I don't think he thought I was serious or whatnot and sort of convinced me to do it. I think, you know, I think a lot of these things that we've done in the past are sort of like challenges. Like, yeah, find a sculpture studio in Birmingham, England, and we'll right. do it. And this brings us like, full circle too, getting back to the, the band days, the zine. I mean, that's a zine problem if I've ever heard one. Yeah. You know? Like, Here's a situation you have no idea how to fucking solve in a foreign country and you have yeah. no resources. Yeah. And the reality is in this day and age with whoever you know on Facebook and friends and I had spoken, me and Alex Goldman from Testament spoke at a metal symposium in Dayton, Ohio a couple of years ago. Really cool experience. And I met this girl Jasmine there. Uh, she's a professor at a music, at a, at a school. Shout out to Alex. Alex. <laughs> Shout out to Alex. Good friend of both of ours. Mr. Skolnick. Big shout out to Alex Golnick. And um, uh, he will be invited to this podcast very shortly. Uh, and Jasmine was like, I work at, you know, sort of put out an open call. She's like, I work at a school. Let me talk to my sculpture department. And I was like, would, would, can I bring Tony Naomi to your school? Like, and like, will you make a cast of his hand for me for free? And they're like, if you let the students watch and we'll make it a class, we'll do it. And I was like, amazing. And I was like, do you have a video department too? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had them film everything, even including like her shipping the box of the, the, the hand mold at FedEx. I'm like, document everything. So um, it's a really cool process. And um, yeah, and it's, and it's fucking Tony Iommi sticking his it's hand Tony in the And, you know, having discussions with his manager about, do you want me to take the finger, the nibs off his fingers, um, the thimbles? Uh, when he does this, we want him to bring the real thimbles. I was like, take them. I want the nut, you know, I want the, not to get gross. I want the finger nubs. I want people to knowing, especially we're so blessed that Tony is still of this earth and, and here and healthy. And he's successfully has battled cancer. Like that comeback record was actually really good. Like they toured, it was like, it's all nothing but positivity coming from, yeah. from Tony. And the, um, and the heaven and hell record was great too. You know, he's still not a young man and we're blessed to have him, you know, in our world for hopefully, hopefully another 20 something years, 30 years, who knows. But knowing that if we do this award show going forward, that the thing that we give people is the literal hand of doom, the hand that, mm -hmm his hand and because of this accident he had to tune down his guitar and lower the strings and that 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 created the sound of heavy metal and like that could be passed on to other people and it's like his dna is in there somehow is the coolest thing ever so is it in the documentary where he was he was afraid for a moment that his hand was stuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know we did it and the first one broke so we had to do it twice um and i actually uh, true story. Just got the plast. I got the plaster mold shipped back to me. Like one of them was totally broken. My wife's like, "Why is there like a bag of fingers in the living room? <laughs> like those are Tony Iommi's fingers. How dare you?" <laughs> She's like, "What are you gonna do with them?" I'm like, I don't know, but they're. Know. I'm keeping them forever. Yeah, just you know, point at people with them and <laughs> make a necklace out of them. I don't know. Yeah, like, hello. Um, it's Halloween. I, you know, like. I don't ever get lost in the idea of like an award show as far as like there's awards and there's a committee like that stuff is all great. And it's, it's sort of like a red herring that mm -hmm. this is a great night if you're a music fan and it's a great this industry and our genre never gets its own day in the sun. Yeah, people, and we, people I always say people don't remember who won what they remember the performances. They I remember, don't remember things that happen, uh, you know, uh, 
presenters and so on. And it's the experience. And it's, yeah, it's a celebration of particular style, style and culture and community. And, um, that's, that's what matters. I mean, it, yeah, that, like, you know, I remember a couple of years ago. So, so, you know, obviously with, with this, with some of the relationships in this business, we've always had Benny Paul at the award shows and the, the drums were banging, you know, one year that, you know, you should have Phil and Selma there. And I finally got the blessing to invite him and I invited him and he's like, oh, I don't do award shows. They're not, it's not my thing. And I was like, don't get lost in the award show bullshit, whatever you think that is. Like, just come experience blah, blah, blah. He came that, that Metallica year. He performed uh, This Love with Anthrax. And what year that was. <laughs> it was really, really great. It was like really the great year. Show. Yeah. And as you also remember, Jeff Hanneman passed away that day. That, mm-hmm. that afternoon. Literally that day. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so uh, yeah. They on the fly played a bit of Rain of Blood. And just a, just a beautiful moment all around. And I remember being at the, the bar or whatever, the after party, the smoking lounge after, and, um, Phil looked at me across the, um, the area and sort of gave me like a, like an approved, like an approving, like, like that was good. Yeah. Like, that okay. Was cool. Yeah. Glad I came worth the price of admission. Yeah. Like that was like, you're all right, kid. And I also then, remember seeing Doyle in the bar, shirtless, full makeup, <laughs> just yeah. hanging around. <laughs> yeah. It's like an incredible shape for like a 55 year old guy. I mean, for, uh, for any age guy, any age guy. Um, and you know, about a second or two later, um, Phil and Rita, you know, dimes, were, were, uh, in tears holding each other, having a reconciliation. I remember someone going, well, like, what's that all about? I'm like, don't go over there. Oh, wow. Like, that, was, that was that night, huh? Yeah. I was like, leave them alone. Let them, um, let them reconcile and then let me bring over some paperwork so we could get this reunion going for next year. No, we, you know, listen, like it was, I was just so like, there's so many times I could tell you that many people don't know there was, there was people threatening to fight each other, hurt each other. They saw each other there and every single time those people met in person, reconciled and left friends. Um, we've never had a fight at those shows, never been an incident. Um, the myth, the myth of, you know, metal and evil and (laughs) Columbine and biting heads off bats. Like these people are fucking teddy bears and, and sweet, nice people. So, um, I'm excited just for the metal community, just to have a night again that they could all get together and take it, take a shower and dress up nicely and see each other. Privately gotten like a lot of nice messages from you know people that you and I personally idolize. So, you know, just so happy that a guy like this is back and this exists again that we're doing this. So oh, yeah, I, um, I, I second, third, fourth, and fifth of that motion. Well, Josh, thanks for making the time to be on Speaking Destroy. No problem. Um, you know, I congratulations on all the success of, of the show. I've listened to every episode so far, and um, I. Um, have given it a good review on iTunes. Yes. Which as uh, you all I, should out there, as everyone uh, should out there. Yeah. You know, there is no other band. There's nothing comparable to Metallica out there. Um, and I've been so lucky just to be a fan and gotten to see them live and work with them. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm excited to hear what you guys do going forward and all the guests you'll get because, uh, this could go on forever. And uh, yeah, told I was going to say the, the, like... the, the wish, the wish list is long and mighty. And, uh, I, I find myself adding to it on an almost daily basis where I'll go, Oh yeah, I should get so-and-so on the show too. It's just, 
I mean, I, I, I literally, you know, 95% of that wish list I haven't even reached out to yet because it's, it's that, it's that deep. There's that many people on it. So. Well, you wanted to, you wanted to get the big names like, like me. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to start right at the top, right at the top. I mean, I've been, it's, it, you know, you've been like, you've been my white whale. You've been like, you know, like for you getting like Metallica dude, to play your guy show. shared an elevator with them once. And it took so many episodes ago. for me to get Josh Bernstein on. I asked every episode and he said, no, finally, once he knew that I had M shadows. Once he knew well, that. I think you and I have just been talking about Metallica for years anyway. We might as well just record it. Yeah. And that's on Those are the conversations Greg and I were having where I, he was like, yeah, these are just like the convert. Like, so you want to do a podcast? That's just like when we talk about Metallica. And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just not always you and me, like other people too. You know, I saw them, I saw them twice this summer on the current tour, uh, two different stadiums. And like, this reaffirms your faith, just how good, like, oh, you're here, and we're we're, we're yeah. up over here. And I love. I've gotten to see them in a lot of different environments. Uh, even on on Hardwired, I saw, I saw them play Kimmel outside at that that Kimmel yep. stage. I saw them do a charity show at a, a small venue in L.A. A full set, um, and then I saw them at the Rose Bowl. So it's like I've gotten to see them on this run, and all the you know, in so many different types of environments, and just the. Every one of them has its its strengths, you know. Each each is a well, unique, you know, unique, we, cool you experience. and I saw them at the at the Grammys. <laughs> you know what? I for, I actually forgot that should be on my list. That was this album cycle. We did. Uh, it's just for the listeners know, Mr. Bernstein and I sat next to each other. Uh, shout out to Josh for bringing me as his date. Shout out to our friends at the Recording Academy for having us in the first place. And as I have discussed uh, in other episodes. Man, it was like uh, I knew I knew what it felt like when your favorite team. I don't I don't really care about sports other than combat sports, but now I know sports. what it feels like when your favorite when your favorite team gets into the Super Bowl or the World Series or whatever, and then just you know. Whew. We were so yeah. waiting for our team to take the field, and uh, we just sunk in our chairs. It was, it was we literally sunk like, in our chairs, and we felt and we felt obviously. We were upset. I mean, I was upset already. And I, I love, you know, no disrespect to Laverne Cox as an actress. I love Orange is the New Black. I love her performance on there. But certainly disrespect. Apparently she did it in rehearsal, too, where she just literally skipped over Metallica in her introduction. Um, so right from the get-go, that was already like, Ugh. And then obviously the thing with the microphone. Um, I personally, I thought Lady Gaga was great. Uh, she was, she wasn't, the issue that I had at all. I actually liked seeing her play with them. Uh, what I didn't My issue was like, yeah, I'm sure you agree, like the fake, like sort of the hired moshers. And that's the, exactly what I was going to say. That was actually, fire. that was actually the worst part to me where those crappy dancers. I thought it was like metal. I've always described it as like metal racist. Like, like Keith Urban didn't sing, like sitting on a bale of hay with a wagon wheel, like with like a piece of straw <laughs> out of his mouth. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I know what you mean. Like, it's like, it was just it was like, like the stereotype of, you know. Yeah. It was like a cartoon version of what metal is. Like, they didn't have to do that. No, I could have just been the band and the band and Lady Gaga. You know, what's interesting, um, and I'll, I'll keep this brief because long-time listeners such as yourself have already heard this, but, you know, I saw Lady Gaga was at that show at the Fonda in L.A. And people were kind of like, oh, wow, Lady Gaga's here w watching Metallica. And that goes all the way back to... I saw Bradley Cooper watching Metallica at this small show that Metallica did around Comic-Con a few years ago. And at the time I was kind of like, Oh, this is just a cool place to be. He's a movie star. 
And then the band starts playing and he's singing every word. He's playing air guitar. He knows everything. And then come to find out, you know, a couple of years later when Lady Gaga's at the show, she was apparently there with Bradley Cooper, who was making a movie with her. And after that show, they ended up hanging out with Lars. And apparently that's where the whole idea developed of doing the Grammys right. together. So it's just interesting how, how all those things come full circle. I don't know if, if James said this when you saw them, but at the Rose Bowl, and I know at some other shows, uh, right before they play Moth into Flame, uh, he, make, he, yeah. makes, he makes a little joke yeah. about, you know, this time with vocals. Yeah, and you know, and, and and I will say as we've discussed before too, we also sunk in our chairs because we felt bad for people that we both know personally that work for the Recording Academy, who are true believers, who do support this music, who do want to see it better represented, and who were excited to have Metallica playing their show. And it was, you know, certainly no fault of theirs. Uh, the technical. No, crap it's like that this whole like people are like the Grammys hates metal. I'm like, are you, are you out of your mind? Like, these, well, these, people forget that these institutions are, are run there's people involved you know i mean i you know when i was a reporter for mtv i would get into these situations of like you know play music videos or how come this or how come that and i'm like dude i'm your age i just started working here a few years ago you know what i mean like like I'm, there's no like monolithic person that is these brands that's like responsible for every crappy thing they've ever done you know i remember when um um adele's mic had some difficulties mm-hmm. um and I remember my first thought was like, not so easy, is it? Like as, as someone who produces these events, like oh, right. it doesn't, or when the, the thing happened at the, at the Oscars with um, Moonlight and La La Land, like. It does probably like, make you feel a little bit better where you're like, yeah, this happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't to the biggest any, award uh, shows. Yeah. I'm not taking any joy in anyone else's pain there, but like. That's perspective. Like, yeah, it's like you know, it's these things are really hard to do. It's it's a it's sort of a crazy undertaking. A lot of moving parts, a lot of fires you got to put out, and sometimes shit goes south during a live taping. And I've beaten myself up very badly over things that have happened on these shows that are should have been my control or should have done better. So like when you do see something like that on a far grander scale with fifty times your budget, it's a little like okay, like everybody's human. Uh, not that I'm, I don't I want to make any more mistakes, but like, okay, Adele, like the, you know, the, whatever, the best yeah. living singer right now, the hottest, you know, she was the Grammys, like, mm-hmm. you know, still couldn't have a flawless, you know, actually, yeah, I thought you were there, like her restarting that George Michael song was actually made it more powerful. I did too. And I also, um, and I also thought it was a great testament to her uh, integrity as an artist. Yeah, it was kind of great. Like, like, I'm not, I'm doing this. Forget the artifice and the window dressing of all this, and who cares about the politics? I'm, I'm doing this guy justice, and I'm doing it right, or I'm not doing it at all. Thought that was cool. Uh, Well, Josh, my friend, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. My thanks to my very, very good friend, Josh Bernstein, for joining me on this episode. You can find Speak and Destroy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. And as always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey. <laughs>